This is the Daily Signal podcast for Wednesday, April 20th. I'm Virginia Allen. And I'm Doug Blair. Election integrity is essential to a functioning country. And Americans deserve to know that their elections are being conducted fairly and that their votes count. Unfortunately, many feel as if our elections are not secure. DeRoy Murdoch, a Fox News contributor and senior fellow at the Atlas Network, joins the show today to discuss the issue and how we can make our elections more secure. But before we get to Doug's conversation with DeRoy Murdoch, let's hit our top news stories of the day. Following a ruling by a federal judge out of Florida, the Biden administration's mandate requiring masks on public transportation is now over. Here to discuss how this happened and what it means is Heritage Foundation policy analyst David Ditch. David, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. All right. So this is very exciting news. But what did the judge rule exactly? What does it mean? She ruled that the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention does not have the authority under statute to, in conjunction with the uh, TSA, mandate that all these different transportation systems, coast to coast and border to border, impose mask mandates on all passengers. Does this mean that long-term mask mandates across the country are probably going to go away? Do we see this having slight resistance? What do we see from from this ruling? It's unclear whether the Biden administration is going to fight this ruling tooth and nail, you know, appeal up all the way up to the Supreme Court. My guess is that they won't or if they do, they won't go whole hog because what you see in all these different places, whether it's airlines, whether it's airports, whether it's even – the local uh, transit agency here in Washington, D.C., given the choice, all these major aspects of the transportation industry are choosing not to impose mask mandates. They're saying to individuals, if you want to mask, if you think that you're vulnerable, you can choose to mask. And if you don't, you don't need to mask. As a final question, do we see these mask mandates coming back? We know Philadelphia just reinstituted their indoor mask mandate. Do we see mask mandates coming back if there's a possible surge? I believe this is going to turn from being a federal issue to being a state and local issue. Uh, I absolutely believe that a variety of jurisdictions uh, governed by people who are frankly paranoid about COVID uh, will be imposing mask mandates uh, for whatever arbitrary and capricious reason that they see fit. Thank you so much, David. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky has asked President Joe Biden to label Russia a state sponsor of terrorism. This could put further pressure on Russia's economy following its invasion of Ukraine. The Biden administration has not said whether it will apply the label to Russia, but appears to be looking into it. The State Department defines a state sponsor of terrorism as a country that repeatedly provided support for acts of international terrorism. In other words, a country that supports non-state actors outside its borders to commit acts of terrorism against civilians. Alexander Modell is a professor of political science at Rutgers University and the author of 10 books on the history of Russia and Ukraine. He tells CNBC that Russia's actions so far would not qualify it as a state sponsor of terror because it is the Russian military carrying out the acts. Russia is not sponsoring terrorism. The state itself 
is committing it. But Modal notes that Russia's previous actions of poisoning dissidents outside of Russia could qualify as grounds to label Russia a state sponsor of terrorism. Right now, only four countries bear that label, North Korea, Cuba, Syria, and Iran. Since most sanctions that come with the designation of state sponsor of terrorism already have been applied to Russia, Modal says the primary value of labeling Russia as such could be to serve as a potential bargaining chip in future negotiations. Florida has rejected 54 math books over concerns that they contain critical race theory as well as other prohibited topics. On Friday, the Florida Department of Education announced that it had rejected 54 of 132 math textbooks it reviewed, with the lion's share intended for students in kindergarten through fifth grade. NBC News reported that 28 of the 54 books were rejected specifically because they discussed prohibited topics or unsolicited strategies, including CRT. The other rejected books failed to meet Florida's benchmarks for excellent student thinking or BEST standards. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, a Republican, said in a written statement that it seems that some publishers attempted to slap a coat of paint on an old house built on the foundation of Common Core and indoctrinating concepts like race essentialism, especially, bizarrely, for elementary school students. Now stay tuned for my conversation with DeRoy Murdoch as we discuss election integrity. At the Heritage Foundation, we believe that every single policy issue discussed in D.C. tells a story. So we want to tell it well. On the Heritage Explains podcast, co-hosts Tim Descher and Michelle Cordero take one policy issue a week, mix in a creative blend of clips, narration, and hard-hitting interviews to equip you on crucial issues in under 20 minutes. So get your story straight. Subscribe to Heritage Explains wherever you listen to podcasts. My guest today is DeRoy Murdoch, a Fox News contributor and senior fellow at the Atlas Network. DeRoy, welcome to the show. Doug, great to be with you. I want to talk to you about election integrity. You gave a speech at the Heritage Foundation about some of the wild intricacies of how election integrity has kind of fallen by the wayside in America these days. Where do you see that as being the biggest problem? Well, it's a big problem in a lot of states where people are not doing what they need to do in order to make sure that our elections are clean, honest, reliable. Um, I think a lot of this, unfortunately, came out of uh, the uh, COVID emergency. Mm-hmm. And uh, people on the left said, well, you know, we can't have people going to the polls because they might get sick or they might get people sick. So let's have mass mail-in ballots so people can stay at home. And um, we can't expect them to turn their votes over at the uh, election board, so we're going to have ballot harvesting so people can will go pick up their ballots for them. And we'll have drop boxes. They can drop their ballots in these unsupervised uh, boxes, maybe at 3 in the morning, so they mm. won't get COVID. This whole left, as, as uh, Rahm Emanuel, former uh, mayor of Chicago, said, uh, never let a great crisis go to waste. And boy, right. they didn't. And they weaponized this disease to change the way we vote. And unfortunately now, uh, a lot of that stuff still sticks. There has been an effort by some states to roll back some of this nonsense. Um, A lot of us fear that there's going to be what we call the midterm variant. Mm. Right about Labor Day, there'll be another variant of COVID. They'll say, oh my God, we got to lock the thing down. And they'll say, well, we got to do the mass mail-in ballots and go through all the nonsense we did in 2020 that tainted that election, uh, I think, truly fatally. Uh, But I hope that we will get over this nonsense, get COVID behind us, and get the COVID-related Uh, very negative changes in our voting system uh, behind us in the history books and go back to what we should be doing, which is as much as possible, vote in person. You're going to vote at absentee. It's because you're actually sick. You're out of town, not because you you feel like it. Uh, And uh, we're going to have the ballots come in 
unless they're in the military or something like that. All the ballots have got to be in election night, not two weeks after or two and a half weeks, just drifting in wherever they want to. And uh, we really need to go back to the concept of election day, where you get up on election day, get off your barca lounger, put on some clothes and go down and vote with your neighbors and decide mm-hmm. who's going to be your mayor, who's going to be your governor, who's your congressman, who's your senator, and who's the president of the United States. Rather than what we've got now, which is you stay home, you vote with a, you know in a bathrobe or maybe with a towel around your waist. It's just another casual activity. It's not that important. Who cares? And I think the whole quality of our democracy suffers when people think voting is just you know some, something you do uh, you know, while you're waiting for dinner to be served mm-hmm. rather than something that you take seriously and you and your neighbors go and decide who is going to lead uh, this constitutional republic of ours. Doroy, there was a lot to unpack there. I want to start with some of those policies that you mentioned. It sounds like these are, are policies that have been intentionally created to make voter fraud or election irregularities easier to to propagate. Is that accurate, that it's tri- it's intentional? I think so. Now, some people will say, well, these people really meant well, and they just were trying to keep people from getting infected. Uh, you know, I think that's maybe the innocent explanation. Uh, my sense is that there are people who want to be able to make life as easy to cheat and keep the system kind of uh, loosey-goosey and un- uh, unfocused and not buttoned up. And that makes it a lot easier uh, to cheat, a lot easier to steal elections. And I think that there are people who do that. I also think even if they are, on- are honest people and they-, they mean well, that this sort of thing just at a bare minimum creates the perception of vote fraud. And even if there is no actual vote fraud, but people think, oh, boy, that looks fishy, then you look at the person who benefits from it, the person I was elected, and you think, oh, that's not really the president of the United States. That's not really my senator. That's not my governor or whatever it is. And, and I don't think we can tolerate vote fraud. We can't even tolerate the appearance of vote fraud because mm-hmm. even the mere appearance of vote fraud causes people to lose confidence in our leadership and in our system. And pretty soon our constitutional republic starts to dissolve. The secondary angle to that was this idea that voting has become something you do while you've gotten out of the shower, like, oh, shoot, I forgot to vote. I'll just fill out my ballot really quickly. How does that idea that voting has become a more casual activity affect the voting process? I think what it does is that people just take it less seriously. If you know you're going to go uh, on, on Election Day, not like three weeks before Election Day or early voting or all this other nonsense, uh, but you're going to go on Election Day and you and your neighbors are going to go to somewhere, whether it's the fire uh, station or the elementary school or the church basement, wherever you go, and you vote, I think you take it more seriously if you're going to go out there and, and physically go present yourself and, and vote. And I think you're probably going to research more. I think you're going to look at the ballot propositions more, uh, think more carefully about the candidates who are trying to, who are aiming to represent you. And uh, versus if you're just, you know, sitting around, you know, in the easy chair with your feet up on the ottoman thinking, oh, well, you know, I read the sports page and I'm about to watch some exciting drama on Netflix. So I got 10 minutes before the thing starts. So let me uh, let me see him, you know, fill out my ballot real quick. Um, I don't think it's really a way we ought to be operating as a people. Uh, there's also another big problem with this business of, of um, what the Democrats and the left really have done. Uh, they like to say, oh, the Republicans are beating up our democracy. Look, there's n- there's nothing more central to democracy than the secret ballot. Going into the polls, you close the curtain behind you, and it's only you and the ballot. Your boss isn't there. Your husband's not there. Your wife's not there. Your boyfriend, girlfriend, kids, grandkids, nobody's there but you. And you pick the person or the people you want to rep- represent you, and you vote yes, no on whatever the ballot measures are. When you vote at home, you're sitting there, and you could have your 
uh, husband or wife or somebody saying, uh, well, if you know, if you vote for that person, I'm going to clock you over the head with a skillet. Mm. Or grandpa, you know, if you don't vote the way we want, we're just not going to give you any penicillin for a couple of days. Let's right. see how you feel. You don't need to be putting people in that situation. Um, Hillary Clinton uh, said that the reason she lost in 2016 is a lot of pro-Trump uh, husbands pressured their wives not mm. to vote for her. And a lot of people laughed. I think it's probably more paranoia. But I bet you there may be some examples of some husbands said, honey, you vote for you vote for Hillary, you're in big trouble. And there are probably some people who said, honey, you vote for uh, you vote for Trump, you're in trouble. Right. You don't want that situation. You don't need that. Uh, and maybe it's not. I'm going to knock you over the head with a with a uh, with a pipe. Right. It might just be you know I I I don't want to be grumbled at and have somebody make faces at me for the next four years. So I'm not going to vote the way I would otherwise mm-hmm. or what have you. People shouldn't be operating on that kind of pressure. People ought, shouldn't be voting at home with that kind of nonsense going on. I know somebody who had um, accompanied a uh, a voting party in California. And they had everyone from the office come in and sit around the conference table and, and fill out their absentee ballots. Um, this person is married to somebody who's not an American citizen. She's mm-hmm. a citizen of a country overseas. And they handed her a ballot. And she actually thought, well, gee, I could fill this out and vote in this election. And to her credit, she said, no, I'm, I'm not an American citizen, so I'm not going to vote. But she had every opportunity right there with a ballot that I think had been an absentee ballot that somebody found that mm-hmm. was just sitting around because it was mailed to somebody. That person moved away or died. And that person's ballot was there and said, hey, you want to join in too? And if she wanted to, she could have filled out that ballot and send it in. And she would have voted in the last election in 2020, even though she is not an American citizen. Mm-hmm. This is absurd. This is horrible. This needs to stop. And this business of just sending out uh, ballots as if they were confetti, having them land in land uh, in uh, next to people's mailboxes because they're not there, they've moved away, so the post office drops them off, and the people either pick them up or they pull them out of the trash. You know, if they're good citizens, they mail them back or they tear them in half so they can't be used. But I no doubt people picked them up and said, "Oh, good, I can vote two or three times mm-hmm. for president now." And especially with things like. Um, Drop boxes. You don't have to go and hand this into a poll worker at the polls. Put in the drop box at four in the morning, and nobody's any the wiser. Mm. There's a movie coming out by uh, Dinesh D'Souza called 2,000 Mules. I believe it premieres May 2nd, if I'm not mistaken. And it's about this exact problem, which apparently they have security footage of folks who are going up to these uh, unsupervised uh, drop boxes and dropping in not, you know, one or two ballots, you know, mom's ballot, grandpa's ballot, but no. Fistful, fistful of ballots mm. being stuffed into these drop boxes. And these people were driving around and going to drop box A, drop box B, drop box C, and, and just stuffing in just handfuls of ballots. And uh, they were able to use both the, the security footage and also a cell phone tracking data to follow these people around. And I've not seen the movie yet, but I'm looking forward to it. And what I sense is it shows a very, very elaborate conspiracy to stuff the ballot box mm-hmm. on behalf of the left. And uh, if the numbers, Look, I think if you could move around 44, 45,000 votes in just the right states, it goes from a Trump victory to a Biden victory. And it's entirely plausible that those people stuffed the ballot box and got Joe Biden into the White House that way. To play devil's advocate for a second, let's assume that that did happen and that we are seeing this this massive amount of voter fraud. Are there not prevention measures when the ballots are counted to say, oh, well, this person isn't a citizen, so their ballot shouldn't count, or this person's dead, that shouldn't count? Is there, is there any form of prevention to make sure that doesn't happen? Uh, well, it's limited. Some of that stuff might be able to be caught. But uh, when you put in uh, – I've actually seen in Colorado a couple of years ago when they moved to uh, all-mail ballots uh, the um, signature check. I think people have the idea in their heads that people are taking uh, the ballot with a signature and comparing it to the ballot that's uh, on uh, you know, vote rolls mm-hmm. and getting a magnifying glass out and a measuring tape and all. No, these things fly through very quickly. Have you ever seen the machines that the post office uses to cancel stamps and you see right. the letters just flying through at top speed? Okay, it's like that. 
So it's it's not graphologist A and graphologist B looking at its signature on the ballot and the signature that's on the vote rolls. It's not like that. These ballots are going by like this. And on election night, they're going by like so. <laughs> and uh, And good luck catching anything like that. Right. To make matters even worse, in some states, the way these the way these systems work, uh, they will look at a signature and they compare, I suppose, the size of the curves and the loops and the angles, and they'll say, okay, well, the ballot, uh, the signature on the ballot, absentee ballot, is you know eighty five percent similar to the one that's on the records. They actually lowered in some states, lowered the um, similarity required in order for the ballot to be accepted from you know ninety percent similar to eighty percent similar down to seventy or sixty, and they were lowering the the similarity level. To make it easier for a signature that didn't match to be accepted. Again, why would you do that unless you're trying to make it easy for people to cheat? Mm. Now, as another sort of common refrain we hear amongst the left, they say maybe there's voter fraud, but it's not widespread, right? These aren't widespread voter fraud incidents that are happening. It's isolated incidents. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, there's this this notion that, uh, well, there's no widespread vote fraud. Okay, number one, how much is acceptable? Okay, um, 10,000 fraudulent ballots. Is that widespread enough so we have a problem? 100,000 ballots, a million, 10 million. Is, please give me a number where you can say, yeah, the vote, vote, vote spread is widespread, so it's a problem. They never give given any indication of what their tolerance for widespreadness is, if you use that term. The second is that you don't need widespread vote fraud. If you're particularly talking about a presidential election, you don't have to have fraud from Malibu to Montauk and from Seattle all the way down to Key West. You basically need fraud in a handful of cities. In uh, Atlanta, in Las Vegas, Madison, Wisconsin, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, and if you can, and probably Detroit. If you can have fraud in just those places, what you do is you pump up the vote for the cheating candidate, unfortunately, usually Democrat. And as those numbers go up, you end up winning not just that city, you win that whole state because mm. there are enough numbers there. So you win the state, electoral college being winner take all. And if you just have the fraud in those places, you get enough electoral college votes, so you win the election. So there's no reason to have, you know, uh, here's our Washington state fraud program and here's our New Mexico fraud. You just need it in, in those four, five, six swing states. And if you can swing those cities or sometimes just those precincts with big enough numbers, you end up winning the whole state, all the electoral votes, and once you hit 270, you get the Oval Office. Hmm. You mentioned during your speech at the Heritage Foundation, Georgia, as an example of how this could possibly play out. Would you be able to go in depth about how that might have worked? Absolutely. Well, I refer to um, a very good book called Our Broken Elections, written by John Fund of uh, National Review and also Hans von Spakovsky, your uh, colleague here at the mm. Heritage Foundation. They wrote an excellent book, which deals with both the 2020 ele- election specifically and with election electoral election fraud, vote fraud more broadly. And thinking of the history of vote fraud going back uh, into the uh, 20th century, maybe even the 19th century, if I remember correctly. Uh, but they have a specific chapter where they get into the whole mess in Georgia. And you need to remember how small the margin of victory was for Joe Biden, 11,769 votes, just under 12,000 votes. And um, they list uh, this incredible series in that chapter of things that went really quite sideways in Georgia. And just keep that number just under 12,000 in mind. And here are the things that took place, among others. 13 unregistered people voted with absentee ballots. 92 people cast absentee ballots before they even requested them. How's that possible? 217 people voted via absentee ballots that were applied for, issued, and received all on the same day. Wow, that's a really high level mm. of public service, isn't it? 2,423 people voted who were not on Georgia's voter rolls, so they shouldn't have voted at all. Mm. 2,560 felons cast ballots before their voting rights were restored. They shouldn't have voted either. 
2,664 absentee ballots were sent out before the first day that they could be distributed legally. That should not have happened. This should not have happened. 10,315 dead people voted on Election Day, mm. and among them, 8,718 were registered as dead before their ballots were accepted. So those ballots should not have gone out in the right. first place. And then 305,701 individuals applied for absentee ballots after the 180-day 180-day pre-election deadline. Now, if you add all that up, we're talking 323,985 fraudulent votes, almost 324,000 fraudulent votes just among those examples. Now, do you think it's it's possible Joe Biden was able to extract 11,769 ballots among those, which was his margin of victory in Georgia? I think that's entirely possible, and I think that's actually what happened. So we're saying that this it, it's not just a matter of, oh, this is a local election happening. It could be that standard. It could be a presidential election. Absolutely correct, which is part of the problem is you might say, well, look, you know, this is just local. Who cares? People of Georgia are going to do whatever they do. Well, you know, it can come down to those people in Georgia being the decisive factor in the election. We certainly saw in the year 2000 in the Bush versus Gore situation, uh, the entire presidency came down to 500, I think the number is 537 votes in the state of Florida. Mm. Now, if uh, 538 votes had gone the other way, Al Gore would have been president of the United States. Uh, I'm sure it would be a very different country than we have today. Some people might say for the better, some people might say for the worse, Mm -hmm. but it would have been very, very different because of the situation in that one state. That one state, the state of Florida, was a tail that wagged the entire dog in the United States of America. So that's why we have to have zero tolerance for for vote fraud. It's not cute. It's not funny. There's nothing good about it. And certainly when you're dealing with presidential elections, a little bit of vote fraud in one state can go a long way, and it can go all the way to the White House. When conservatives and Republicans push legislation that might help with voter fraud, such as, for example, voter ID, uh, we're often accused of being racist or attempting to push down on, on people's ability to vote. What are your thoughts on that rhetoric? I think what's really racist is the policy and the the arguments on people on the left, a lot of Democrats, who say, well, you know, we just can't expect black people to have voter ID. (laughs) What a racist, bigoted, disgusting, anti-black thing to say. Mm. Uh, I walk around all day long and I see black folks driving cars. Are those people all driving around without licenses? I get on planes, I see black people. Are they not allowed to get on planes without voter ID? When I go to the airport... And I hop on a plane and I travel a lot. Nobody ever says, oh, you're black. You don't have to show a voter ID. Mm-hmm. I got to show voter ID just like every other white person or person of Hispanic background or Asian background getting on the plane. So the idea that somehow black people are just too confused or stupid or disorganized to be able to, 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 to expect them to ha- be able to show voter ID at the polls, I think is a deeply bigoted and racist and disgusting notion. And you hear it out of the mouths of Democrats and the left. You don't hear it out of the mouths of Republicans on the right. So this is more of a Democratic problem. In that sense, absolutely, and and the people, uh, you know, people on the left and Democrats. Oh, we speak out for black people. We're the be- black people's best friend. Oh, uh, really? Well, if that's true, why do you think we're that stupid that we can't get our hands on a voter ID? And by the way, it's funny how we're expected these days to get your get your COVID vaccine and show your proof of vaccination. Usually, when you show your proof of vaccination, you have to show an ID card as well. Right. So the same Joe Biden who says it's Jim Crow 2.0 and the equivalent of Bull Connor and Jefferson Davis, the head of the Confederacy, to expect black people to show. ID at the polls is the same Joe Biden who's expecting us all to get our vaccines and show our vaccine cards when we have to go into restaurants or do anything else. And so that's okay then with COVID. That's fine. But if you expect it at the polls, then you're just like George Wallace and the segregationists during the Jim Crow era. I mean, the level of inconsistency and uh, hypocrisy 
And total lack of self-awareness on the part of these people is truly breathtaking. Mm -hmm. Now, we've we've gotten this sort of acknowledgement that voter fraud and election integrity are issues that we need to care about. You mentioned a couple of solutions at the very top of this interview about what can be done about it. But what do you think would be some effective solutions we could put into place today that would affect you know, elections going forward? Well, again, I think voter ID is probably the, the easiest and most uh, popular, I should say. Um, there's a poll by CBS News in July of last year, and 80% of blacks and 80% of Hispanics favor voter ID. Uh, among whites, the support is 81%. And uh, what is that extra 1%? Racism, <laughs> clearly. But uh, look, this is very popular, and um, activists on the left don't like it, but everybody thinks voter ID is perfectly fair. So just... Are you the person you say you are? There's nothing inappropriate about that. So that'd be an easy thing to do. Secondly, voter rolls need to be cleaned up. There are voter rolls that have dead people on them, names of people who've moved away, they've left the state or moved elsewhere from you know one block, one location, uh, you know, west side of town, east side of town, whatever it might be. And uh, that needs to be cleaned up. That's required under the uh, so-called motor voter law and also the um, Help America Vote Act. Both those laws require you to clean up uh, your vote rolls. That should be done often. Um, there has been pushback by the Department of Justice under Obama. Uh, Attorney General Eric Holder actually sued the state of Florida when they tried to clean up their voter rolls and take 51,000 dead people off the voter rolls. And again, the Motor Voter Law and the vote, uh, Help America Vote Act, both federal laws, require that to be done. And when then Governor Rick Scott tried to do this, the Attorney General uh, Eric Holder under Obama came in to stop him. Why would you want to do that unless you want to have a loosey-goosey situation in which people can uh, take advantage and do things they shouldn't? I think I would put an end to mass mail-in ballots. Mm -hmm. If you are sick or you're going to be out of town or you are paralyzed or you have some inability to get to the polls, that's one thing. Fine, we'll get you uh, an absentee ballot. But the idea that we're just going to send these mass tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of ballots around even when people don't ask for them, there's no need for that. That just creates all sorts of problems. I think related to that is this whole, this whole business of ballot trafficking or ballot harvesting. We should put an end to that. You know, if you are infirm and you can't make it to the polls and you want your, your grandson or your uncle or your next door neighbor to take your ballot in fine and be, when it's accepted, we should know the voter's name, the name of the person dropping it off, that person's show ID, and it should only be your close relatives or your neighbors if you're mm -hmm. shut in, something like that. This business of having people come in with just, you know, hand handfuls of ballots and dropping them off. Okay, here are 100 ballots. Here are 300 ballots. Here are 500 ballots. We know who these people are. Are they honest people who picked up the ballots and dropped them off? Or do they sift through them and say, oh, I don't like that guy. There goes that ballot. I don't like this person. Oh, okay, it's, it's, it's not sealed shut. Let me fill in those extra bubbles for those people who I want to see elected and then drop. You have no way of knowing what, what's going on here. Again, if it's corrupt, it needs to stop. If it's not corrupt, but it looks funny, it creates the perception of fraud, and that's not healthy either. So I, I'd start with those things, and they're more spe uh, specific reforms, but at, at a minimum, voter ID, uh, clean up the vote rolls, uh, put an end to mass mail-in ballots. And, and I also think we need to get back to election day rather than you know election month or election quarter. In 2016, you had people voting in North Carolina uh, two weeks before the very first uh, Hillary Clinton Donald J. Trump presidential debate. I think that's sick, and I think that's un-American. Uh, we ought to go back to Election Day where people vote after you've seen the debates, watched the ads, uh, read the articles, and you can go to the polls with a full, clear head of all the pros and cons about the people you want to, uh, who are on the ballot, and then you make a decision accordingly. As we wrap up here, 
as I think we've seen in polling data and as you just discussed a little bit here, if Americans don't trust their voting results, if they don't trust the results of their elections, that has pretty dire consequences for the country. Do you think the fact that Americans are starting to question the results of their elections, they are not confident that their votes are counting, means that we'll start to see this type of legislation get passed? Well, with any luck, we will see this sort of uh, legislation passed so people actually can have uh, confidence in the polls. I think one of the reasons that uh, the two Senate elections in January went the way they did, is you had uh, some Republicans who figured, well, it's a rigged system, and Stacey Abrams rigged it, and uh, Secretary of State Raffensperger and Gov- uh, Governor uh, Brian Kemp went along, and so my, my ballot's not going to be counted, so I won't bother casting it. And you actually had some people running around saying that sort of thing, which I thought was completely irresponsible. And so I think that actually reduced uh, GOP turnout. They figured, you know, why, why waste my time voting if my ballot's not going to be cast? Mm-hmm. Again, that's not good for the system. People think that sort of thing. So I think we do have to get back to a system where people can have faith in the uh, system itself. And they might say, well, look, yeah, I'm glad my candidate won or I'm sorry my candidate lost. But at least we, we both losers and winners can say, all right, we, we, it was a fair process. It was not a rigged system. It was a decent, just, clean and honest system. And we all can walk away. Uh, some happier than others, but all of us uh, satisfied that the system itself was okay. I don't think we're there now, and if we have another election like we had in 2020, it's going to be even worse, and confidence in, in the American Constitutional Republic will continue to dissolve even further. That was Deroy Murdoch, a Fox News contributor and senior fellow at the Atlas Network. Deroy, very much appreciate your time. Great to be with you. Thank you very much. And that'll do it for today's episode. Thanks so much for listening to the Daily Signal podcast. If you have not done so already, please take a moment to leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen. And please be sure to spread the word to other listeners. Thanks again for listening. And we'll be back with you all tomorrow. The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. The executive producers are Rob Bluey and Kate Trinko. Producers are Virginia Allen and Doug Blair. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. For more information, please visit DailySignal.com.